The Gist is brought to you by Monster. Find employees who work as hard as you at monster.com slash hiring. Monster. Find better. And by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, March 17th, 2016 from Slate. It's the GIST. I'm Mike Pesca. Chipotle, we made you puke. But now we want you back. Actually, they made, what, maybe a couple hundred people puke, but they are mailing out millions of coupons. It's a good deal for us, the non-puking public. So Chipotle announced yesterday that this is now its second attempt to reward customers with free food. Reward them. Come back to Chipotle. They sent out 21 million direct mail vouchers. The last time they did that, uh, 5 million people downloaded the vouchers, and 2.5 million people went in and got their free burrito. Quote, that was our first test to see how much people really wanted to come back to Chipotle, said Chipotle's chief creative and development officer, Mark Crumpacker. Concerns about freshness and food cleanliness? How about have a guy named Crumpacker rebut those concerns? Because nothing says a clean kitchen and the timely disposal of expired food more than Crumpacker. It's not his fault. They could have put forward his co-worker, Anna Leakage. Anna Leakage. What? Anna's not working out. All right, let's get Chuck. You know Chuck from uh, Counts. Let's let's call up Chuck. Up Chuck. Call up Chuck Far. Someone dial up Chuck Far. Re Chipotle. I wonder if somewhere there is a corporate coupon to outbreak conversion scheme. Right. So Chipotle inspired projectile vomiting. That's good for a free burrito. But like Bluebell ice cream, people died from that. What do you get, like a free year of ice cream? And Long John Silver's, no no outbreak. The food's just generally gross. I'd say 50 cents off. By the way, Arby's is usually the punchline in that joke, but I'm not going there. I like Arby's. I like Chipotle too. The stock market doesn't. So I was reading in Bloomberg now that the CEOs, right now the stock's under 500. If they get the stock up to 700, Monty Morin and Steve Ellis will get rewards. Here's the quote. The awards would be tied to its share price and that the stock would have to be higher than $700 for 30 consecutive days to trigger the new stock awards. The additional skin in the game could accelerate Chipotle's transformation. Skin in the game? Could we not? Could we not when reporting on Chipotle? The food is actually safe at Chipotle, but with the skin in the game and with crumb packer it's the writing about chipotle that makes me sick and chipotle also announced and this is a big one they will be night marinating their chicken wall street journal workers would marinate beef and chicken after restaurants closed to avoid possible contamination with food prepared during the day the company stated on its website but the website now only mentions that raw chicken is marinated at night no mention of beef night chicken it's a start but it's no night beef working on mysteries without any clue Working on our night beef with autumn closing in. All right, I'm going to keep this train chugging all the way to the spiel where I talk about food some more, food safety, GMOs, and Gwyneth Paltrow. But first, a rousing, bold, and voluble defense of small talk. As a small business owner, and if you're not, maybe you know someone who is, and maybe you know that that person works endless hours to pursue his or her goals. But now I'm going to speak to you. Put yourself in the mind of a small business owner. It'll be easier if you are a small business owner. Here are some of the things you know about. That sunrise is your alarm clock. That your lunch hour 
is eight minutes long, that you need employees who work that hard too. So Monster has 20 years of experience finding the right people for the right jobs. Monster builds custom hiring solutions specific to your or your imagined or your actual friend who is a small business owner. But for this case, for this scenario, let's pretend that you are the small business owner. And if you really are, you know how important it is to get the right people. Visit monster.com slash hiring for a limited time offer and to find employees who work as hard as you. Monster, find better. Writing in Slate, the online magazine Slate, perhaps you've heard of it, Ruth Graham had an article called In Defense of Small Talk. It's not shallow, boring, or offensive. It's a crucial social lubricant as valuable as wine or laughter. And in fact, when done right, it could lead to at least one of those things, although the other one of those things could lead to it. So here's what I wanted to do with Ruth Graham, who I've been reading in Slate for a long time. I love the point of this article. I love her writing. Ruth is with me now. Hello, Ruth. Hello, Mike. Have we ever talked before? I do not think that we ever have. And in fact, in setting up this very interview from an audio engineering perspective, I just had Andrea work out the levels on you, and I I haven't even heard your voice until now. Would you say that's accurate? That is absolutely accurate. All right. So let's do this. (laughs) Let's prove the point of your article by engaging in some small talk. What do you say? Okay, let's do it. Do you have polydactyl feet? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) No. No. You have just the same number of toes as I do. So that's something in common. What's it like being a 10-toed person? (laughs) (laughs) Is this your opening line at parties, Mike? Well, I was just trying to say, I was just trying to figure out that if a person happens to be polydactyl and you're polydactyl, I mean, there are all sorts of things that elevate a conversation from small talk to substantive talk, but we can't get there without small talk. So we always denigrate small talk because once it becomes of substance, then it stops becoming small talk. But how did we get to the substance without the small talk, I ask you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, small talk is the sort of assumed shared culture between us without knowing, you know, much about our actual lives or interests. So it's the stuff we know that we'll be able to talk about. So like, there's Donald Trump, we could talk about Donald Trump, who's like God's gift to small talk. He's the perfect subject. Everyone has an opinion or a joke or there's sports, which is, I'm a, a little afraid to get into a sports conversation with you because that's like a major hole in my own bucket of small talk. But I've, you know, I've seen the Steph Curry gifts. Like we could talk about that. And we could talk it's, about it's gifts. We could that... <laughs> talk about gifts versus gifs just as a way exactly. to pronounce Exactly. Another great topic. I am a strong believer in gifts, but, you know, I'm willing to compromise. Because why, why do you believe? I'll tell you, I think I agree with you, but why do you believe in gifts, not gifs? You know, first of all, it's just because I feel like that's how before this like definitive ruling came down, whenever that was a year or so ago, I just felt like everyone said gifts and then that's it. You know, I'm a not I'm not a prescriptivist with um, language or gift pronunciation and also gifs just. It sounds terrible. It sounds like peanut butter. It sounds weird. I, yes. I just, it, it sounds wrong. So what about, so with sports, I try not to go in with sports and, you know, especially when I sense that people maybe aren't into sports, which isn't always a man-woman thing. I mean, there is definitely a type of guy that I will suss out and maybe steer the conversation away to sports, but it is a little more of an easy lubricant among men. And I wonder if women have a similar go-to. Yeah, I mean, it's that's funny. When I was kind of chatting with people about this piece, one thing that came up was just how 
sports just comes in handy. It lets you talk with anyone in this like male culture that I have no access to. So I'm kind of jealous of that. I, what, what things do women have? Some women, I don't want to speak too generally, but I read quite a bit of celebrity gossip in my, you know, spare time. Yes. So that's something, you know, not that there aren't men that aren't interested in that or, or women who aren't, but I think that that's sort of a piece of feminine culture that can be really fun to chat about. So I think with sports, though, the I've thought about the equivalent to reality television. I do think you could get into a conversation with someone about baseball. And then let's say you figure out the person knows a lot. Then you segue mm-hmm. onto either the NBA or the NFL. You have a reasonable expectation that they'll be there with you. But I don't think it's true with reality television. I mean, you could be going on and on about The Bachelor and then jump on to Real Housewives. And I think much more often than with the pivot to the NBA, you'll get, yeah, I don't watch Real Housewives. Or the other way around. Uh, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. In fact, I do watch The Bachelor and I could just talk and talk and talk about it, but I don't watch Real Housewives, or at least I haven't for many a season. Um, See, I'm conversing on Real Housewives. I'm the opposite. I, I just know that they hated The Last Bachelor and he was maybe from Argentina. Is that true? That was a few bachelors ago. Few the bachelors last bachelor passed. was a, the last bachelor was a deathly dull farmer from Iowa. Uh-huh. Was the he the small talk of a, bachelors? Well, I no, because I'm a fan of small talk. He was just he was like the small talk killer. He just sucked the air out of the room. Although they're all kind of boring. They're just a it's a stream of boring men one after another. The current one's boring too. Yeah. And yet the show is amazing. It's compelling. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if people were more conversant and if people were more comfortable actually chatting, they wouldn't have the need to go crazy to get attention for themselves or even to want to be on a reality television show. Yeah, you know, there's something to that. And The Bachelor is sort of, it's weirdly, like, prudish in a way, so it's not so much topless in hot tubs. Mm -hmm. But it is, like, skipping over the small talk. You never hear them talk about culture or politics or their jobs or anything. They're just skipping right to, like, relationship talk, which is just so bizarre. How, How do they know they like talking to each other if they just sort of skip right to saying, I'm really taking this seriously, I'm on this journey with you, we're in this moment together. But there's like no content to their relationship. And I think that's because either they don't small talk or at the very least we don't see it on screen. So it's weirdly empty conversation because of that. You're from New Hampshire, right? Well, I live in New Hampshire, yeah. I'm from Illinois. How's how's the weather in New Hampshire? <laughs> you know, it is it is eerily warm. Like last winter was like living in a Shackleton expedition for six months in this winter. There's no snow on the ground. It's I've barely worn my coat practically. Um, yeah, it's kind of lovely. Oh, my God. Have you, have you read a lot about Shackleton? Because was there cannibalism on his journey or not? I always forget. You know, I... Oh, I, I'm, my sister's going to kill me because she's doing PhD work on like Arctic expeditions. But I think there was cannibalism, mm-hmm. but I, I really can't swear to that. Do you see what just happened, Ruth? I just asked about the weather. You mentioned something other than the weather, Shackleton. We got on your sister's Arctic. We're going to talk about your sister's Arctic expeditions <laughs> and her research. How could we not? This is how we have to. Small talk was a lubricant. Do you have any other tips for people who are intimidated by small talk but needn't be? So, yeah, one one idea is to sort of have like a handful of topics in mind when you're heading into a social situation. But I think another thing is to just not take it so seriously. With small talk, it's really not 
about the content as much as it is about just your tone and your attitude and your ability to sort of joke as you go or um, think quickly on your feet. So it's easier said than done. I know it's harder for some people than for others, and sometimes it's really hard for me, but a big part of it is just your attitude. Yeah. I would look for pivot points, like our Shackleton example. Yeah. Pivot out of the weather or the big game. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And the nice thing about small talk is you're never, you're hopefully not on any one topic for long. So if you're drowning, you know, you'll be out of there soon. Can I ask you another question about weather in New Hampshire? Of course. Do you think as a heuristic, people assume that New Hampshire is much colder than Massachusetts, but not as cold as Vermont? Because I I think that that's what people think. New Hampshire is like, emotionally cold in a way that Massachusetts and Vermont are not. So, yes, I think it's just a cold place along every, you know, in every meaning of the word cold. No offense, New Hampshire. I like living here, but it's really not that bad. I used to live in Chicago, and I don't find it much worse than that. Do you think the fact that it's called the Windy City makes it feel colder, Chicago? Yes. And I've heard that it's not actually, that the Windy City has nothing to do with actual wind, but now but that's gotta be it has one sort of those become things. a part of. Yeah, yeah, they said it was to do with like a politician's speeches. And yet, right. if that politician lived in Death Valley, do you think they'd call yeah. it the Windy Valley? I think not. No, no. no. <laughs> yeah, Chicago is windy. Chicago, and there, and that's how we end it. A triumph of small talk. <laughs> did you meet R- Ruth Graham? Yes, I did. She said the most interesting thing, Chicago is windy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really fascinating, sparkling stuff. You know, you can't be on all the time, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, don't tell me that. Well, I can. I have an editor. <laughs> well, I can't be on all the time. Maybe you can. <laughs> In defense of small talk, which this is this, the audio version, a triumph of small talk written by Ruth Graham in Slate. Great to meet you, Ruth. <laughs> Wonderful to meet you, too. Harry's. I use Harry's not every day, not every other day, but two or three times a week, and I try not to use any other razors. I try not to get any other razors in there to get my skin unconditioned to the smooth Harry's shave, the German-engineered five-blade cartridges. I mean, what if I mistakenly used a Scandinavian-engineered three-blade cartridge or an Austrian two-blader? My face would not be happy. I want the clean, comfortable shave of a Harry's razor. But we really got to talk about the price and the convenience. The convenience is they'll ship them to you. Really easy. The price, that's the big differentiation. They sell their blades at half the price. And their blades are high-quality blades. And we also have a discount for you. Beyond the regular discount of an eight-pack of blades for about half the $32 that the big companies sell them for. For $15, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. And our deal is, if it's your first order with Harry's, if you've heard this ad and haven't tried before, give it a try. If you don't shave, I bet you know someone who shaves. You get $5 off, which means you pay $10. You get like a month's worth of shaving. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and enter the code. Code GIST at checkout. Hey, 
And now the spiel, food that's real. Yesterday, we talked to Maria Konnikova about GMOs. On the very same day, the U.S. Senate voted on a measure about GMO labeling. It's a little convoluted, but the bill the Senate was considering would stop states from individually labeling food. So take Vermont, literally, this is the big state they were talking about, the little state, but the big state in this debate. It labels its food. It tells you what's a GMO and what doesn't have any GMOs. Most Republicans in the Senate were like, no state should be allowed to do that. It's misleading. It hurts food producers. Most Democrats were like, why? Just let them label the foods if they want to label the foods. The bill ultimately lost, which means states like Vermont could keep labeling their foods and tell the citizens implicitly, I think, that you should be a little scared of your food. Then again, on the other side, you got Republicans usually going on and on about state rights, except when it's something that they think isn't right. And when you step back and think about it, it's in a state's right to have the Confederate flag on its flag, but the Republicans were saying it shouldn't be in its state's right, not to label its flag with a symbol of the Confederacy, but to label its garbanzo beans with the letters GMO. Okay. But I don't know exactly what I thought about the bill. I mean, there's a reasonable-sounding argument behind the bill. Here it's made by Debbie Stabenow, senator from Michigan. She's the top Democrat on the Agricultural Committee. But part of who we are in America is a country that believes in people's right to know information. So yeah, yeah, I'm for a right to know. That sounds reasonable. But what do people really know? Not what do they believe, but what do they know? Like if this were calories on menus, I believe in the right to know. If this were the presence of allergens, yes, of course we have the right to know. I believe in general in more information, not less, more information. And it's informative to say food is made with GMOs. I mean, that is a, that is a fact. They're made with GMOs. But of course, people are interested in this information because they have an exaggerated idea about the danger of GMOs. 82% of the public says they prefer labels on food produced with genetic engineering, which, by the way, includes every food with soybeans. 90% of the soybeans grown in the U.S. are genetically engineered. I don't know if they know that. That's fine. So 82% wants GMO labels on their food. Same survey, which is a very well-respected survey, the Food Demand Survey, showed that 80% of Americans favor mandatory labels on foods containing DNA. Yeah, sort of like every living thing contains. Kind of exposed maybe public ignorance, though our friend Ben Lilly of Story Collider points out that there might be something fishy going on in the question. Speaking of pretty fishy, here's Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. She spoke of this specter on the Senate floor. I'll just call it an an aberration, an aberration in the fish world. And what I'm talking about is genetically engineered salmon. So this bill turned out to be kind of a catch-all for our food anxieties. But I'm not against more knowledge. I just question, is it knowledge? Here are some analogies. The FDA disallowed genetic testing for kits from companies like 23andMe. It's not that the kits gave bad results. It's just they worried that consumers, the layman, wouldn't properly contextualize the results. Doctors do this all the time. And the medical lobby, such as it is, is constantly opposing kits that would give consumers information if the consumers don't know how to interpret the information. They say you need a professional there to guide you through it. There are a lot of examples of actual information that you could slap on a label. It's information like it would be informative to say this vaccine contains the mercury-based preservative thimerosal because vaccines do contain thimerosal or they did more at one time. But anyway, 
The real reason that anyone would want that on a label is to support the totally discredited claim that thimerosal in vaccines is linked to autism. So it's not just about more information. It's about more accurate information. That said, I do not buy Senator Pat Roberts' argument. The responsibility and opportunity to inform the consumers falls on the marketplace. If consumers want more information, they demand it by voting with their pocketbooks in the aisles of the grocery store. Please, you don't vote in grocery stores. You buy Fruit Loops in grocery stores. Or you buy celery stalks, rotisserie spice blend, and a third of a cup of Veginase. Especially if you are Gwyneth Paltrow. Because those are all ingredients in the recipe that Goop calls GP's favorite chicken salad. And this is who I will quote last. Because GP, Gwyneth Paltrow, herself lobbied Congress in favor of these GMO labels. At this point, we just don't know. And much the way I want to know if my food is farm-raised or wild or if my orange juice is fresh or from concentrate. It'd be very tempting to say that if Gwyneth is for it, I'm against it. Like, I, I, I used to like Coldplay, then she was married to the guy, but now I like him again. That's a little too reductive, though. And you know what? GP's favorite chicken salad, it sounds good on paper. So I'm going to make up my own mind, and here's what I've decided. I've never used this political hedge before, but I say let the states decide. That's right. If Vermont wants to slap GMO labels on their soy, then that's right for Vermonters. If Kansas wants to keep it off their Jiffy Pop, I say Jiff Pop Jayhawk. The Senate was right to kill the bill. We don't need the federal government saying that a local government can't be doing it, but I would like to see the local governments think twice before unnecessarily frightening their people about frankenfood. So let the states decide, I say. It's not just a dodge. It's something I actually mean in this case. And now let me add that veginase because the chicken salad seems a little dry. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi can't believe it's still technically winter. I mean, sweater weather, hello. Executive producer of Slate Podcast Steve Lichtai wonders if you've seen this latest commercial, the one with the guy. I mean, how dumb do they think we are? Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, is putting together a program called I Know, Right? It just plays the other parts of more popular podcasts and then the host butt in and say, I know, right? Bo Bergdahl was sure in Landstuhl a long time. I know, right? Alice isn't dead. I know, right? The gist. Our favorite Seeger song, it's not Night Beef. It's We've Got Night Beef. Who needs night chicken? We've got night beef, girl. Why don't you stay? Oomperu, depperu, du peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>